Hey guys, I would just like to thank you for being so patient during COVID. I went down the COVID rabbit hole, as I'm sure many of you did. But luckily during that time, we still had some new patrons show up. So thank you to Gabrielle T. And we also had one new elder, which was Justin from the Obscure True Crime podcast. So I have to get together with him and do one of the extra bonuses for that. But again, thank you guys so much for understanding and still being here when I came back. And I hope you all are doing well. Thank you to all the patrons and the supporters. Here's the episode. And then let me be good this time and actually record on here. Welcome back, Collective. I'm back with Brandon. We've still been talking. This is about hour four of this recording because quarantine's driving us crazy. <laughs> not crazy. Just it's it's social interaction we're not getting otherwise, right? <laughs> Well, yeah. You know, it's good to talk to like-minded people when you're locked away in your little house, right? Yeah, I have not left my house since Sunday, and it is Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on we're on day eight, I think, here of not leaving. So I'm on uh, almost day fourteen. Oh dear. I don't know exactly what day. I'm counting them by Sundays. I'm almost on my third Sunday. <laughs> well, like I said, we have twelve rolls of toilet paper left. So let's do the math. I have a family of four. Yeah. With <laughs> children Bra- who do not know the, the importance of toilet paper. Let's not forget that. <laughs> when does Brandon need to leave the house again? What's the equation here? Probably suit. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you got you gotta you gotta go hunt. <laughs> earlier you got to hunt earlier for toilet paper it's yeah that white white gold yeah well maybe when it gets down to like two or three rolls we'll just start getting leaves for the kids and and Brittany and i'll live in luxury <laughs> my brother always joked with people that my mom made us uh she would buy like two plies so we could divide it in half oh dear yeah <laughs> or we'd go out in the woods and get yeah. leaves but the funny thing is my mom and my brother are very allergic to poison ivy the rest of us oh, really dear. aren't there's poison ivy and poison oak out there and they have both gotten it. oh that's not happening at the sheck snyder house we're not picking poison ivy <laughs> they wouldn't pick poison ivy but it'll be back there while they're looking for leaves and I'll, r- I'll run the hose into the house for the kids if i have to before that yeah but day sales are going up guys you can yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have a separate toilet you can just attach it to your regular toilet kids would have too much fun with that with animals that would be horrible. <laughs> I could just picture it. So we've got, so I've got a story for you. Yes, we're going darker and worse. I don't know how we could go worse, but we're going worse. It always gets worse. There's always something worse. And, you know. In history, it always gets worse. So, you know, I, I'm from New Orleans. I'm born and raised from New Orleans. And, and Southern Gothic is really, I, I know I'm the one that's usually the voice is my sister's podcast just as much as as mine, and we grew up down there. And how everybody in the South is probably everywhere, right? Everybody, everybody always gets that story that you hear that's like local legend, and you don't really know the legend, but you hear what like your friend in middle school told you about it, and you might hear what like your mama told you about it. You might, you know, and you kind of like don't really know. Minus melon heads. There you go. Yeah. Not a no. It creeps me out to be in the woods at dark up by my parents. I don't like it. But do you really know what's behind that story? Have you ever really looked into it and known where like the history of it is? Where I have, and it's still not clear. Yeah. That's the yeah. worst part. Sometimes it makes it creepier. Like sometimes it really does. But anyway, this story is kind of one of the ones we grew up with down in New Orleans. It's 
It's it's Madame LaLaurie. And anybody else out there that's interested, this, if you watched American Horror Story, in American Horror Story in the New Orleans, I think it was the Coven series, yes. American. Kathy Bates plays Madame LaLaurie in that series, the sadistic Creole socialite, you know. No one deserved that more than Kathy Bates. She Oh, she was incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah, she was absolutely everything I thought I think about with with Lori and the that extreme elitism because here's the deal, I mean even even in the legends that I learned and what history is is so Lori was she was she was a creole socialite and creole when you hear the term creole now, you know there might be different things and you're creole and cajun and food, right? Well, what a creole person is in this sense was essentially France you know, France had made their colony here, you know, and had New France and, and New Orleans was part of their colony. And Creoles were people who came from European ancestry, which it later kind of evolved to anyone, but that were born in a French colony. All right. So basically what it was is, you know, she had rich French aristocratic um, parents who moved to New Orleans. She was born in the colony. So she's considered Creole. And a lot of that culture, when you hear that Creole culture, is that kind of hodgepodge of, of all the different cultures that came to New Orleans and, and started almost a new one in a lot of ways. But Yeah, it's basically how Creole is delineation of first generation, second generation, mixed. It's The Spanish have a similar thing. You have like mezzle and like it's just a term for colonial heritage. And Absolutely. how your genealogy yeah. is hodgepodge together. Yeah, because they were, I mean, they were proud to be French. I mean, they were proud of the old country, but she was born here. And, um, you know, you see a lot of that. And then, like I said, Cajun, you know, Cajun doesn't even factor into the story, but the Cajuns were a whole nother group of people that were French and came down from Canada. But, you know, that's kind of the two major groups you think of with New Orleans. But Madame LaLaurie was, she was a rich girl, grew up Creole socialite, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, being a rich Creole, she in growing up in New Orleans, she was born, believe it was 17. Um, you see, I'm bad with numbers too sometimes, Courtney. Cir- circa 1785, 80, or 1775, 1787. You know, at that period, it's hit or miss if you got date. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky. Exactly. <laughs> she grew up with a lot of money and all, but here's where the story's dark, if you haven't heard it. So on April 10th, 1834, (laughs) a fire breaks out at the mansion that she owns in the French Quarter. This is a beautiful mansion, large mansion. She lives there with her husband. Um, Her family obviously has been a part of this high society, beautiful mansion where she's had dinner parties. You know, she's done all the wonderful socialite things. Ballroom. It's probably about half a block or something. It's giant. It's a large house. Yeah. And you can still see it down there in the French Quarter. It's at it's at 1140 Royal Street, or if you want to really get technical, Rue Royale. <laughs> so um, anyway, so this fire breaks out, you know, at Madame Lori's house. Of course, you know, knowing this this rich person with this beautiful home, all the police and neighbors and firefighters are all rushing to the mansion like we're going to help with this fire. As But as the flames die down, you know, what Lori's interested in is she's interested in saving her art and her furniture her china, all her valuables, you know, and, and supposedly, you know, when she was kind of asked about, well, what about your slaves that are in there? She flat out is quoted as saying, you know, never mind them now, save the valuables. Obviously, a kind of bit of that. Yeah, isn't it different in New Orleans? The slave culture was very different than the rest of the South. They were kind of treated better. They had more protection. Everyone kind of had this agreement that we're not going to treat our slaves really bad. We have to treat them respect and like as people. And right. 
Well, New Orleans had had so the French treated them differently than let's say the British on the East Coast because it was it was it most of the society was built on what was called the Code Noir, which is kind of the French's view of how you would you would treat slavery. They had Sundays off to congregate um, and could buy their freedom. Now, we're going I do not want to say that slavery was better in New Orleans because New Orleans was an epicenter of the slave trade oh, yeah. and had horrific things happen there. And even 20 years before Madame LaRory showed up, you know, you had one of the largest slave revolts happened right there in New Orleans um, and on, on the German coast there in New Orleans. And they put the slave revolt down and put all the slaves heads on pikes on the levee, which is a whole nother gruesome story. Um, so don't, you know, so there's definitely, they had a different view. The French still viewed enslaved people as people with souls. So they still, you know, wanted them still allowed them to have religion and spirituality and those sorts of things. Um, they still had different things, but what new Orleans was unique in this time frame is that new Orleans had a lot of free people of color there. It, it was a very, very weird tiered society to the rest of America, you know, and um, before this fire here, you know, the Louisiana Purchase was in 1803 and you have this French society now all of a sudden is American against their will. Yeah, wasn't it French, Spanish, or no, it was Spanish, then French, then American. So it's a very big European well, hodgepodge. It was French. So it started uh, somewhere around 1720. I, I can't remember the exact date. We just celebrated our, our 300th anniversary. <laughs> All right. So somewhere around 1720, it was French. It was a French outpost. Then the Spanish took it over 1764 after the Seven Years' War, whatever around there. The Spanish took it over. It still stayed pretty French. The Spanish were more interested in stuff. But that's when the fire, uh, they had some great fires, uh, you know, big fires that devastated the city happened. And um, the Spanish rebuilt the city. So right now when you go to New Orleans, all that architecture is really Spanish. Yeah. You know, it's all Spanish architecture, all the cities of the dead, all the tombs. That's Spanish influence. It's not French. Because the Spanish are much more, people don't realize, the Spanish are more distant kind of imperialist they're going to use the local infrastructure the british were more like we're going to use the local infrastructure to interweave ourselves into this and change it to our ways and i feel like the french are a mix between the two where they're going to be slightly distant culturally more impactful than the british being like we're going to make everything very british and very like you see yeah. indian and stuff like that yeah i mean there was there was a lot of stuff you look in new orleans history the spanish did you know a bunch of cajuns tried to revolt against the spanish you know in, in kind of 1790 1780 region you know there was a little bit of fight in there but but really it all kind of when it got americanized these french creoles that have been running this city for years and have had uh you know money and everything these rich they we're not happy with the Americans. They did not want to be American. What? The French not wanting to be American? Shocking. They did not want to be American. You know, so, well, Lori, here she is, and she's this, you know, she, this is her. She, she, she basically is, an, is emblematic of this old world kind of thing. As Creole society starting to die off in the 1830s, well, I don't want to say die off, but it's starting to lose their power and control. So this crazy picture, Kathy Bates, right? Crazy woman is saying, uh, you know, like, never mind the slaves, valuables, a little tip off, you know, see. But uh, some people, some of the new, some of those judges and some of the prominent citizens that are there to help her, they get a little pissed off at this, right? They're a little angry. They're like, we're going to we can get the hell in the house. So these three men, um, and you know, I say that I can pronounce French things and stuff. I might not try this here. Judge 
Canon, Canonge, I can't pronounce that one, Monsieur Matru, Monsieur Lefebvre, and Senor Fernandez. So there's actually a Spanish name in there. So these men decided we're going we're gonna to go the hell in the house, see if anybody else is in there. Because isn't it suspicious? Like, mine was suspicious, but this is really suspicious being like, don't worry about the slaves. And everyone's like thinking, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to rip Maybe, that now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, You know, I wonder how what really happened of it, because, you know, I'll tell you in a little while how, you know, there's some stories that say that some people kind of thought she was being already being a little sadistic. And we couldn't really tell from looking at stuff of whether that was after the fact these stories were made or if she really did show signs of being sadistic. But, you know, these men go in the third floor and I mean, it's it's like the most gruesome scene that it's or I, I'm not going to say the most and be that superlative, but this is one of the most gruesome scenes in the history of slavery in this country. They break down this door that's locked on the third floor of the building and inside there's 10 slaves some of them are locked in cages like animals. They're all in advanced stages of starvation. You know, they're all a chain. There's some chain to the walls. It gets worse. Some of them have gaping wounds that are literally infected with maggots. Well, I mean, maggots can clean your wounds. That's what people don't realize. It's gross, but they'll eat the dead and keep uh-huh. alive. So like they'll eat the infection. Right. And this could have been an experiment as we'll, we'll as you're about to hear the next part. Um, this could have been her husband um, that was doing that that I'll go into, but not only are there these gaping wounds, but what's truly horrific is there's even two slaves, a man and a woman, were discovered with their genitals surgically removed and attached to the other person of the opposite sex. All right. There's plucked out eyeballs. A couple of them have plucked out eyeballs. Um, they have lips sh- sh- sewn shut. Um There's one with his intestines removed and wrapped around his chest. This was literally a horror show of someone doing experiments on these people and not like necessarily even experiments that were a fruit of any type of real knowledge, but somebody really sadistically doing this to them. How do you get the intestines out? One, everybody's seen the like picture of your intestines. They're kind of like packed in there. Yeah. So as soon as you cut that open, say you don't nick an intestine because if you get, if that goes anywhere else, you're fucked. Yeah. You have to wrap them around someone without breaking. Yeah. How do you yeah. Do I don't that? know. I don't know. I'm, I'm a podcaster, not a doctor, Courtney. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my... No, I was going to say, I'll ask my sister. I'll ask my sister-in-law. You know, She's a nurse. No, at the same time, you know, like with everything we're talking about, it, you know, who knows really what's total reality and what was newspaper stories and what might have been a little embellished. But who doesn't love newspapers at this time? They have a great time embellishing, having a good oh, time, rolling, spinning that wheel. Like, how bad are we going to make it? Super bad? Got it. Yep, that's exactly. And I and I think that's really where this is going to go of, you know, so they, you know, they of these slaves, seven lived, seven slaves lived, uh, three of them died. They brought them down to the Cabildo. If you ever been to Jackson Square, you know, the, the big cathedral that's in all the pictures in New Orleans, right next door to the St. Louis Cathedral is, it's called the Cabildo. It's Spanish Cabildo. It was basically the city hall, jail, everything for the city of New Orleans. So they bring these guys down there. Um, obviously a mob has formed. Over 4,000 citizens have, or have now come out to see the slaves and see the atrocities and see what's going on. How many people live in New Orleans at this time? Oh gosh, you know, we might have to Google that. I'm I'm not we sure. We take at a that Google point. break. Google. You're, well, we're not going to get a we're not going to get an exact census, are we? On uh 
on New Orleans in 1830. Ah, you might. Anything within the last, I think it's 50 years you can get online. 40, usually censuses around 1850 you start getting. That's true. Um, I think that's when it's Horrible stars. handwriting. <laughs> Let's see. So, I mean, they're estimating about 46,000 people in New Orleans at this time. Four, so about 4,040. Basically, yeah, I'm 4,000. So that's, what's that, 10%? A little, little less than 10%. We're going to do what I always do and get the calculator out. Uh, nope, that's not the calculator. 4,000. Oh, nope. What did I come? 4,000 of 46,000. It is 87%. No, no, no. 0.87%. Sorry. 8.7. 0.87. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of people come out to see it. Mobs building on the street, you know? I mean, they're they're pissed, you know? I mean, like we were talking about earlier, you even... This was an atrocity to do to any human... And they even believed that when it came to enslaved people. So this wasn't, you know, this was a big deal. And the fact that it was one of their, one of their social elite made it an even bigger deal. So anyway, the mob tears the house to pieces. The mob gets inside. They tear it to pieces. Lori gets the fuck out of town. She bounces. She's like, bye bye She sneaks out. Uh, supposedly she makes it. She heads down to Mobile and takes a ship over to France. Question. Do you think she dressed as a man? Because, you know, men dress as women to escape. Do you think she reversed it? Ooh, ooh, I wonder what she did. Because, I mean, if she's a socialite, people know her face, they know her character, like, all of that. So you have to dress up as somebody different. And cross-dressing has historically been a way to get out of town. Yeah. We're going to have to, we're going to have to call my sister for that one. I'll <laughs> ask her. Because, yeah, which, um, I don't know. I don't know how she got out of, out of town. That would be interesting to look up. But um, one of the reasons I say call Brienne is where she works has the archives of like every New Orleans newspaper. So she's actually pulled out the original copies of these newspapers to find this information. That's history porn right there. That's history porn. You press newspaper, you look at it, you're like, oh. <sighs> she sends me pictures of these things. And Brienne is an archivist um, down there in New Orleans. She's really obsessed with signatures. She really likes signatures. So Every cool. historian has a thing. Like, you know, or I mean, I'm not a historian, but I really love to go stand in a place where somebody was. I just think that's the coolest thing. Brienne likes to find their original signatures. And she hasn't been able to find little Lori's, but she's tried. Yeah, Ooh. she's been. Well, so we got. Where were we? Where were we? we she skipped town she skipped as town, a man. Yeah. Not I really. Asked to not a really. And then we got distracted. Not really. She, she, I mean, we really don't know if she skipped as a man. But, or that's not even suggesting. We're making up legends here, Courtney. I'm just Stop. saying it's, Stop. it's statistically possible. Yeah. We don't, don't know, know that she didn't. We don't know that she did. But it, historically, cross-dressing has been a way to escape. Well, I have the mystery for you here that I'll get to at the end, which is what really happened to her She's at the end of the road. So <laughs> aside from that part. <laughs> but uh, so she skips town. Yeah. Um, she skips town, makes it back to France. Of course. When did she get to France? She skips town after. She, she heads over to Mobile. She get, gets on a ship and she heads over to France. Now, there are documents and letters she wrote in France showing she was there. Mm -hmm. I don't have any right here. Um, Do you just know the date? It's, it's I a, don't. Because, wait, when was the fire? We can... The fire was 1834, April 1834. So I'm just thinking French Revolution wise. Right. Yeah. So she could either be guillotine. That's what she was. Oh, no, no, no. Let's put this one on hold. What happens to her? Because I got some I got some mysteries for you that we can. Do we know where she went in France? We don't. 
We don't. I, I don't have. Well, we might know where. Let me see if I have it in my notes. Um, That's intriguing because it might depend. If she went to Paris, she's a little more fucked. <laughs> I doubt it was. Um, let's see. She's. Because even with Napoleon, like if anybody's coming into France, they're going to come for Paris. Well, here's the deal. Here's why she went to France, being the rich aristocrat that she was, socialite. The reason they went back to France is they knew she would not be punished for her crime. She's and rich she and did white. live. Yeah, and and yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so how the fire started. This is part this is reality as well. This isn't part of the legend. This fire was started by a cook who was chained to the stove in the kitchen on a chain. And this cook started the fire with the lard buckets and spread the fire because she was done with what was going on in that house. Clearly she knew. I mean, this, these are people who are literally undergoing starvation amidst like plentiful food and riches. These are people that are being beaten and, and all and, and plentiful food and riches. But anyway, so that's how the fire actually started. Which if you think about it, lard is fat, fat burn pretty quickly. Fun fact, it's actually easier to burn a fat person than a skinny person <laughs> for cremation. For cremation. For cremation. Uh, um, yeah, you, you should have started with that. So, it sounds a little suspicious. It sounds a little suspicious. I knew someone who's training to become, to cremate people. Uh-huh. Jimmy. My friends in Washington will know Jimmy. I He worked at the parks with me. Jimmy, very nice. A little, little offbeat. Very nice person. Um, but he was telling me this, that it's harder to burn a skinny person because you have to burn some, a body so much it's longer. It's so, so hot. Yeah, so you have to, it's 3,000 degrees to burn a human body in case, around that, in case you're wondering. And uh-huh. so if you have fat, fat burns at a, lower temperature so it starts it pro- earlier so it costs more to get the gas and all that stuff in the crematorium if you're skinny huh. so if you're skinny fuck it wow. don't cremate yourself it's more expensive just naturally decay <laughs> but i mean it's you're not the one paying for it but aren't you oh man well that's you know that's really that's the question though what would happen to lori so i mean well let me tell you before i tell you where she probably got buried because that's the mystery what happened to her Let me just tell you a little bit about what happened after she skipped town, right? So we're talking about America thinks that these Creole people are nuts, right? New Orleans is a city that built an opera house before they built a sewage system. That's how backwoods we are, right? I love it. You know? We need culture before toilet. Let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's here's a little Lori here. So after the fact, obviously, this is hitting newspapers. And I mean, like, Madame Lori was a figurehead. She was old school New Orleans. And this is what they did. So therefore, let's make her. But the reality of it at the same time... And I'm not going to apologize for Madame Lori or say that she wasn't sadistic, but her husband, mm-hmm. her husband was a failed doctor. All right. So Lori came from all this money. This was her third husband. He was about, he was, a, was said to be much younger. He Get was it, a mediocre, girl. Yeah. He was a mediocre medical student in France and he came over to New Orleans and basically didn't have a practice, no record of his practice and any of that. He basically, um... Yeah, she basically still ran the house at all. And she was no stranger to being married to crazy people because she had been married to two people before, one of which was involved in smuggling, quote, black ivory, which would be after the transatlantic slave trade died or died or was was put to an end. He continued to smuggle slaves from outside the country um, and made a lot of money. And he mysteriously disappeared. Her first husband also mysteriously disappeared. 
he was a part of the Spanish government and was called back because apparently he did something incorrect. So she's had a little bit of a, yeah. And you know, some people say she got married at 13. Some people say that maybe some of these things, you know, that, that his involvement in the French city pissed off the Spanish, maybe his, his marriage to Lori, uh, you know, there's, there's debates there. I, I don't, I don't know the full depth of all of those, those marriages, but Did they I mean, say, this... is it confirmed that she got married at 13? Well, Okay. So when we did an episode on Willori, we treated it like this wasn't confirmed. Mm-hmm. Now, Brienne now has some stuff where she flat out is saying she thinks that Willori was married at 13. So that's... that's her view. You know, it's not that it's not that strange of a thing in that society no, you know, but they, to be married off to rich people marrying their kids off they would marry so they would marry they, the the ceremony would happen but it wouldn't be consummated for a couple of years because in the war of the roses the whole tudor line yeah came because henry the seventh his mom she got married at 10 mm-hmm. they weren't supposed to consummate it till she was like 15 right husband yeah. said no screwed her when she gave birth, her body, your body's not ready. So she basically could not have kids after Henry VII. That's why there's a lot of energy. If you watch as much. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The the White Queen, the White Princess, the, the, the those series on stars and the books by um, everyone will know. They'll probably be screaming at me. But, you know, those books, that's why there's a lot of energy focus. But they had rules like if you got married at that point. You're like people always are like, oh, they consummated it. No, you had a marriage and then they waited a certain period until the woman physically, they basically would wait until probably like 14, 15. You weren't. Well, I, I mean, I personally think you're probably giving them a little more credit. I wouldn't trust a man in any day and age to begin with. <laughs> I don't trust it, but like if they yeah. would still like, they would have separate bedrooms and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously from Margaret Beaufort's case, it didn't always happen. And people criticized her husband for it because uh-huh. they saw like an 11 year old pregnant and you're not, your body like is not ready. And so well, that's, I mean, outright, if she's, if, if she's married at 13 and this husband is consummating it, I mean, you are creating enough emotional damage into that poor girl that, she doesn't know what's I mean, going on. It's going to make you sadistic. It's going to give you problems. And, you know, and, and, you know, I have a 12 year old daughter. I cannot imagine. She's so far from being grown up. And, you know, I cannot imagine the, the kind of harm that's been inflicted here. And, you know, and maybe that's why at the end of the day, she married somebody younger that she could control, she you know, as it. she was older, you know, um, but, you know, the question is, is was it her doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, was it her that was actively doing these horrific things? Man, she's a strong French Creole woman that owned that house. That house was her house that she ran. She knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. She had to. No way she couldn't. But was it this husband who kind of was just this lame doctor from France or not? Or was it her? And the newspapers hardly, hardly mention him. Everything revolved around her because of her status in that society. It's like her status. You know? And think about it. It's also her sex. We don't have a lot of female serial killers at that time. We barely have them now. Yeah. Well, uh, she would literally, she would be the first female serial killer in America, if this is true. Um, because even Lavinia Fisher over in North Carolina, she's considered, if you Google first female serial killer in the United States, you're going to get Lavinia Fisher and uh, over in Charleston. And fact remains, she probably didn't even kill anybody. She was a highway robber that was just executed. Well, Lori's like that. Look, this has been going on since Adam and Eve. The woman's going to get blamed, you know, and this is, this seems like a case like that. It doesn't mean that, again, 
She seems sadistic again. Kathy Bates, I mean, Kathy Bates was like, I mean, what was it? She was putting people's blood on her face to be youthful. And that, you know, they were pulling not the, at all uh, that. Madame so, you know, what is it? The the Countess from Eastern Europe? Bathory? Bathory, yes. Did yeah. that. They said they did that. I wonder if it was just the perfect storm where her husband wanted to experience and she just needed to get the pain out. So it was just they both met. Yeah. The perfect storm. If they hadn't met, like there's a lot of serial killers serial killer cases where if they hadn't met things wouldn't happen right yeah yeah that's definitely questionable you know i don't know so there's there's some some hearsay on really what went on with her parents um you know some there's there's some stories saying that her parents were actually killed in uh saint dominique which was a large slave colony in the revolt there um that her parents were killed by slaves we don't really believe it's true i don't think there's a lot of documentation there so there's some things saying that maybe now I was saying before, we don't really know which true. There were stories saying that she had gotten in trouble for mistreating her slaves prior to this. And there's actually a story that there's 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 no documentation on this story whatsoever. It's just Love it. been handed down um, that. In 1832, this would have been before the house fire, um, she killed a, a seven-year-old slave girl, all right? And what they, they're told is or this seven-year-old girl was tasked with brushing the madam's hair, right? Oh, that's terrifying. And, um, Think about it. And she's, I know, I know. Of course, guess what happens? The girl hits a snag, and all of a sudden, well, Lori goes apeshit on her, right? Enraged, going after her for pulling her hair too hard. Apparently, he's whipping the child. Child goes running out. They're on the third floor of the house. Um, and whether whether or not the child decided to just jump off the railing to her death to escape it, or she just got the shit beaten out of her to where she was pushed through the bars, um, you know, supposedly the seven-year-old slave girl died, you know, from falling 30 feet. And um, the, you know, the kind of the, the story goes on that neighbors heard and called the police and the police came a few days later, couldn't find anything wrong. There's never been a, there's, the story says that the body of the, uh, the body of the young girl was buried in the courtyard. There's never been a body found in the courtyard. Um, so this, that kind of story might have been put in after the fact to try and extra characterize her as, you know, the monster. That's always um, the crazy thing about this is you have to detangle the myth, like the post myth from the actual facts and like yeah she could have but if we don't have documentation of people going to the police if we don't have documentation of them looking for it right yeah it's it's drastically different yeah yeah it's it's hard you know and i mean that's a lot of what we try and do with these stories is we try and find where's the hole where's the question here what's really interesting that might be real and what isn't and we don't really have that with this story. Yeah. So separating these myths that we get from history back into the present and trying to figure out the fact from what actually happened. Lolori is kind of a prime example. Don't you think of it where you have a lot of myth and a lot of creation afterwards? Well, that's I mean, that's absolutely everything about her, you know, is is she was such such a stereotype of someone that would have been hated whether or not she did this crime or not. Maybe maybe hated's the wrong word, but such a stereotype of something that was on the decline in its way out, you know, the the French were losing control in New Orleans at that point. You know, the Americans had come in and, you know, were trying to Americanize this and, and their way of life was changing. It was, you know, it was dying and, and she was kind of someone that was still holding on to it. So now I will say, you know, we're talking about separating and um, talking about separating that. Now, there are records that she actually did give one of her, her slaves freedom 
several years before, she did actually free one of her slaves. And um, some, some, while that documentation's real, some people say that that actually is what started causing strife in her marriage um, and started lifting to some, some of the upheaval. But so there's, there's competing stories about her. You know, there's definitely competing stories and, and we don't really know what happened. Um, we never will. We never are going to know more because all that's left are newspaper articles. And these newspapers, you know, they're, they're trying to sell, they're trying to sell copies just like today. Right. But now you want to, you talk about the document. This is my favorite part is what the hell happened to her. Like we were talking about. She's a vampire living amongst us, stealing our souls. Well, if you ask American horror story, (laughs) She she was like, what was her head was chopped off and uh, what's her name? Um, um, Madame Laveau made her immortal to like <laughs> to hurt her, but that's not true. So really, we're never gonna know what happened to Lori. So this is all conjecture. But supposedly, she came back to New Orleans quietly. Came back to New Orleans, and snuck back in the back door. Totally. Now she's from a family line, and the family that her ancestors are still everywhere in New Orleans. The, the the names of some of her ancestors are still down there, you know. Now, you know, it's not like they're still running the city like that, but there there are old New Orleans names at this point. And supposedly, now, there's a couple different theories on it. She came back and lived with one of her daughters in her old age, snuck back in the city when nobody was likely to know her anymore. And she either went by her son-in-law's last name or she went by her maiden name, all right? And so much so that... A few decades ago in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is our oldest cemetery, the big cities of the dead. The most famous cemetery, yes. Yeah, most famous one down there. And it, um, a plaque was found with her name on it somewhere. Now, they think that was false. They think that, <gasps> really? that, might, have, that might have been bullshit. However, there is, in her son-in-law's family tomb, there is a, a headstone that looks like the same dates and looks like it's her by a slightly altered name. So, well, Lori might have won in the end. She might have come back to New Orleans and gotten to live out, uh, live out her life. Um, Brianne has some letters that she had found from that time of someone uh, purchasing property and talking to talking to people that were about the same age that were right over, I believe, is in the Ninth Ward. You know, there's some things like that that kind of lead credence to this, but you can't totally connect the names. You know, this is still early, early history, early documents here. Yeah, people don't realize documentation heavily doesn't come until the 19th century. So 19th century, 1800s. And really about mid, we're having early historians, like pretty much early historians are 1850s and before, which is crazy. So archives, libraries, collecting things like that, still very new. Well, you know, the middle of the 19th century is when uh, United States Census records started listing every person in the house. Yeah. And that's been a a giant shift in how, you know, so uh, whereas before it would be you know, it would say, uh, uh, Monsieur Louis Lori, and he's got a house of five and it wouldn't say any of their names, but you know, mid, you know, the, the censuses then started listing people, uh, every single name that's made it easier to track people. Obviously. I mean, if you know the civil war, it's one of the most studied things in American history and there is a lot of documents there. So you're right. I mean, it's, this is totally pre what, what those historians are doing, but you know, that house is still there. The house is still there. It's been rebuilt twice. It's had two different two different incantations, if you will. And uh, like I was telling you early, Nicholas Cage bought the house at one point. Everybody yes. knows about Nicholas Cage's uh, a fancy time in New Orleans. And then 
he I believe he declared bankruptcy and um, sold the house. Wasn't the rumor it was like the curse of the house caused yeah, him to go crazy? Because <laughs> he wasn't crazy before. Come on. I mean, he was so famous that like nobody tells him no. So you're like, okay, cool. That's why he goes crazy. But I think like the, the what I heard was the house caused him to go bankrupt. So he'd have to sell the house. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about his particular ownership that much. I mean, when uh, let me see if I can find the years that in my notes here he bought it in 2007 so right before um, the crash maybe with the crash yeah yeah right before the crash oh. you know that's uh that's also uh post katrina that he bought the house which is a, a pretty big point there yeah 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 so we went through that but and then nick cage i guess bought this house so now this this house here though it's like i mean it was it was treated as a haunted house we can we've got some old newspapers um advertising haunted tours at the lori house and Stuff like that. But it's still there. If you get a chance to go down the French Quarter, it's this large, gray, three-story square building on the corner of Royal Street, you know. Tag us in pictures. If you have them on Instagram, tag us. Post them to us so that way we can see you guys in front of the mansion. Yeah, if you go to my Instagram, I've got a couple. I think I have a picture of it. And if you go far enough back, you can see my daughter standing in front of it, actually. <laughs> and, um it's cool. It's still private. You still can't go. You know, you can't go in. Um, there are pictures online of what it was like inside. Of course, they did like a ghosty kind of motif. But yeah, I mean, anyway, that's the story of a gruesome, a gruesome young woman or not so young. What do you think sh- happened to her? Like, do you think she came back to New Orleans actually? Or do you think she just died in France? Or do you think she never made it out? So I think she came back. I think she came home. Um, I think that, I, you know, this is one of those stories where I, I'm definitely jaded by by how I grew up hearing it. So mm-hmm. I struggle a little bit. And the way a lot of people might, as I'm telling this story, if they saw American Horror Story, they're picturing Kathy Bates in their mind. I'm going to say something that sounds really awful. And um, I think of my grandmother when I, all right, and not because she's an awful person. Uh, my grandmother passed away a few years back, but because she was so new, so old school New Orleans and this kind of like like she grew up uptown in New Orleans and, and just had that kind of that that yet New Orleans accent and was like darling and just had that the kind of the kind of woman that like would have would have been the belle of the Creole, you know, community hundreds of years before. So when, because I kind of, in whatever weird way, think of LaLaurie as kind of a a disturbing version of my grandmother, um, (laughs) I cannot imagine my grandmother not coming back. You know, this, this just strong-willed New Orleans woman, I, I, I can't imagine her going and being fine living in France. And so I don't know, I don't know what, you know, Hopefully one day Brianna will write a book for us where she finds some more source materials and we can uh, we can learn a little more about it. But until then, it's a mystery. I agree with you. I think she came home because like, think about it for someone who that's their identity. Yeah, I could to- like if you told me I could not go back to Cleveland, I'm going to totally fucking go back to Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. part of my heart and soul. I love so many things about that city. Like, I'm going to go back. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, I'm talking about my grandmother here. And, you know, she she lived in a house for 50 years. A house my grandfather built 50 years. I mean, and now my, my, now my sister's living there. And we tease like, she's coming back. She's still coming back. She's still <laughs> there. Know? What are you talking about? Yeah. She's still yeah. there. This is her place. She is not leaving it. So, I mean, 
I think LaLaurie came back. You know, I, I totally believe that, that she would have been able to. I think that that's what that culture was like. I think, you know, New Orleans is a very, very different city um, for years, you know. And at the same time, I, you know, I didn't even kind of mentioned New Orleans was freaking rich before the Civil War. I mean, it was the, you know, the there were more millionaires in between New Orleans and Natchez, Mississippi on the Mississippi River um, before, you know, before the Civil War than there were in New York. Oh, you know, yeah. This was, this was rich. You know, this was a rich town and it made a lot of money and was very much mired in old world and, um, and kind of this uh, Catholic, wrapped in Catholicism and, and, and all the, all the trappings of New Orleans are, you know, were there <laughs> it won jackson the freaking presidency yeah the, well well if you ask me the, the battle in new orleans the cajuns won it the cajun navy won it and andrew jackson just happened to be there but that's a whole nother tale the, for another he time. did just happen to be there <laughs> but he claimed it with a proud flag you know yeah, yeah. so uh -huh. that just shows you like the amount people fought over new orleans showed the jewel in the cap it was oh like, absolutely yeah that's what really people don't realize that's what thomas jefferson wanted he he didn't know how much land was beyond. He won the Mississippi River and he wanted New Orleans. Absolutely. He was petty like that. Well, you look at, you know, what New France was, you mm -hmm. know, New France was all of Canada. And then it was like a strip down Mississippi mm -hmm. and then that chunk of Louisiana. And then when when the Spanish took over, you know, when the Spanish, when um, when they had to cede New Orleans, Spanish. All the Spanish was, was it was like Florida's panhandle over to the Mississippi River. They didn't want all this land from France. They wanted New Orleans. You know, and I mean, that was the mouth of the river. So um, a lot of industry going through there more than just like I talk about more than just kind of being the center of slave trade. It really think guys think about it this way. Any trade that went down the Mississippi, if you were going to get it to Europe, you had to go through New Orleans. So that t sweet, sweet tax money ran through New Orleans. That's yeah. why people wanted it. So, Brandon, why don't you tell everyone where to find you so they can learn more about the mysteries of the South? <laughs> you can. <laughs> You can find us on any podcatcher out there. We're on Spotify and Apple, everything. It's Southern Gothic is the name. And we actually do have an episode on Lori. if you're more interested in New Orleans. We did a little three-part miniseries on the history of New Orleans and all the ghosts and everything that have come out of it about a year ago. It's called Birth of, the, Birth of a City. Um, so good. That. So good. And... Uh, yeah, and a lot of our friends, a lot of our podcasting friends lend their, lent their voices. So like uh, Donna from A Paranormal Chicks, mm -hmm. she did the a voice of a, a, of an 18th century nun talking about how awful of a place New Orleans was. Um, you know, Justin Drown from Obscura, he did a voice in there. I can't remember who he was now. He was great. You know, <laughs> but I mean, his voice is so boomy cool. Oh, and, yeah. He's, you, you know, and then he's a great guy. And, mm -hmm. you know, Javier Leva from Pretend Radio, he, he did a voice in that little series. So it's a lot of fun. And you can find that also at southerngothicmedia.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, all the places, all the places. And next week we'll have a new guest, sadly. Huh. But I know, sadly, you're not sticking around and we're just not chatting because we've already, this is our almost hour five uh, yeah yeah we need we'll, we'll have to find another time man find some some topics that fit us yeah, yeah but we'll i'll catch you guys later bye all right y'all bye prepare to enter an immersive world of tragedies hauntings legends and folklore southern gothic is an independently produced podcast documenting the rich history of the american south stretching from the swamps of Louisiana 
to the shores of the Carolinas, deep into the mountains of Appalachia, and across the battlefields and earliest settlements of Virginia, guiding you through some of its darkest tales and eerie locations. Join us now on Southern Gothic, the podcast. Go. Were you traumatized as a child by watching Unsolved Mysteries? Do you like to judge facial hair? (laughs) Guess what? We have a podcast for you. Can you believe it? It's called Perhaps It's You. And it is an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz. We're two cool mystery ants, not really, (laughs) who watch an episode of Unsolved Mysteries each week. And tell you about it. We update you if any of the mysteries have been solved. We rate the episode on a scale of Robert Stacks. We can give episodes a possible five out of five Robert Stacks, although it rarely happens. Very rarely. We also complain about what everyone is wearing. And it doesn't really matter if you know anything about Unsolved Mysteries or not. You should tune in because it's the number one podcast on iTunes. Yeah, you can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, most podcast platforms. You can also check out our website, perhapsitsyou.com, or find us on the social medias at Perhaps It's You. Yep. And get out there and solve some mysteries, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> of domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free. <laughs>